The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Dortmund's Tuckle Torture, Messi, my booze hell, the man saving Sevilla, and Liao goes wow, and Dears nuts as Milan do Napoli. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Tuesday the 4th of April, as the Euro crew reunites, that's Raphael Honigstein, all right, Rafa. Hello. Alvaro Romeo's with us as well, all right, Hello. Alvaro. James Horncastle's here too, hello. Hello, James. And later on we'll be hearing from Julien Laurence, who's out in the field, probably quite literally uh, as we speak, but he has sent us a moment of the weekend, we'll hear that very, very shortly. Rafa, there was a perplexed look on your face. That's just my general... Demeanor right. these days. Default Honigstein. Yeah. But um, tuchel torture, please explain that to me. I, it was a, no, I mean, is it, a, yeah, a tickle torture, maybe? Ah. Mm. Well, okay. if I thought you might have gone with Bayern blow up Dortmund with a bit of help of TNT. I know, I'd, but I probably should have explained. <laughs> TNT, James, C4, dynamite. Right, who's the TNT in Thomas this? Tuchel. Is his middle name N something? It's two T's. Yeah, T but that's T-T. T -T. Uh, Nobody calls you R and H. <laughs> <laughs> Don't deconstruct my puns here. T-T. Yeah. All right. Let's have a moment of the weekend, eh, Ralph? Okay. Yeah. One of your strong suits. James, <laughs> James, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't have a moment of the no week. No way. But I have a moment of the season. All right. Ooh. Yeah. Because Gregor Kobel trying to clear a long ball from Dio Pomecano, mishit spectacularly, and the ball trickles into Dortmund's net, mm. almost in slow motion, to give Bayern the lead, to give Bayern the win, and to give Bayern the momentum in the championship race. Upamecano, Bayern München versucht aufzubauen, der BVB steht da hinten stark mit seiner Vierer-Kette, die man jetzt sieht, und ein Riesenfehler von Gregor Kobel, und der Ball rollt ins Tor zum 1-0 für Bayern München. Initially I thought I'd never seen something like that, but then... I realized I have seen something like that quite often. When we used to play football at BT, uh -huh. and James tried to, <laughs> James tried to hit a few balls. He's, yeah, I mean, that's harsh. On but me, yeah. An, yeah. yeah. <laughs> an air kick, which, which, which sparked a rout, essentially. Uh, Bayern, 10 minutes later, was 3-0 was up. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that game, of course, very, very shortly. Alvaro, what was your moment of the weekend? Has to be Correa. Correa scoring the winning goal for Atlético de Madrid. Se va Correa, se va Correa, no le pueden parar. Correa, qué golazo. Street style player in a way, but important for Atlético de Madrid in these seven or six years that he's been there. And it was pretty much the end of the game, nil-nil for Atletico and Betis, until Correa decided to go for a couple of uh, balls that uh, looked like they had no owner. He clashed with a couple of players, he got them, and then uh, after doing a couple of feints, he put the ball in the net, mm. and it was uh, the apotheosical moment of the weekend for Atletico de Madrid, because with this win, they are already quite far away from Real Sociedad, Betis and Villarreal, the chasers uh, in the Champions League uh, qualification race. Huge, huge game. I thought maybe you'd have gone for uh, Spain's uh, game against Scotland for your moment of the... 
and the, the thing is that, number one, it's so annoying to see Rodri. I'm sorry, Rodri saying that Spain didn't deserve to lose it or something like that. And I got many calls from different radios asking me, what did Rodri say? And it's true, I have to, not to justify Rodri, but in a way, defend Spain, but it was unjustifiable. Ah. Uh, because I think that uh, Scotland, number one, they had more energy, more passion. They were better in the boxes. And number two, uh, they unmasked a little bit of Spanish football. Because uh, with Luis Enrique, Spain didn't have very good players, but they had a style. And the style was the way of protecting ourselves from mm. not having very good players. With Luis de la Fuente, we are devoid of a style, and then our players have to step up. Who can step up? José Lu, 33 years old, and some other strikers who are over 30, that they are not making a big difference in Spanish football. Let's see how it goes. But uh, I'm a little bit worried ahead of the Nations League, because Spain is going to play the likes of uh, Italy, for example. Yeah, uh, dangerous. <laughs> Well, they are the European champions. I think that... All right, yeah. Okay, fine. Maybe they are not the more dangerous side. But Scotland is definitely not the kind of rival they were that should in the, Spain um, to Spain. They were beaten in the Copa America finals as well, Italy, weren't they? Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they probably lost the finalissimo against Argentina and thought, can we take some of their players? If you can't beat yeah. them, join them. I think them. the lesson from what uh, Alvaro was saying is that you have to have passion in the box. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. I hear you, Rafa. <laughs> that one doesn't need any explaining. Uh, James, let's get to your moment of the weekend. My moments of the weekend recently have all been about what happens in the tunnel or the mm. locker room. Mm. Remember, after the Debbie della Capitale at uh, the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona on Sunday night, we saw at halftime Paolo Maldini getting into it with Luciano Spalletti. And Spalletti was complaining to the referee about, I think, a booking. And Maldini just came up to him and said, what are you on about, Luciano? You've already won, won the league. You know, just quit it. And Spalletti, being quite a prickly character, won't quit it. And so, yeah, it was quite interesting to see them to get at it. Yeah. Uh, and well, Spalletti probably rightly to be quite annoyed and not be in the best mood considering the performance of his team. Well, indeed. We'll get into the events of Sunday night, Napoli-Milan, later on. But now... Here's Julian Laurence's moment of the weekend. It's a sad one, James, because it's uh, Lionel Messi being kind of booed a little bit, not too badly, certainly mm. not as bad as last season after the uh, Real Madrid defeat. Mm. But still, some some boos and a few whistling when his name was was uh, mentioned by the, the speaker at the Parc des Princes. Uh, and to be fair, that was probably that was that was the announcement of what would come on that evening after the party punch, which was another terrible performance from Messi and from PSG. Excellent. Where are we going to begin today's Continental Roundup? In the Bundesliga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Raphael Honigstein. So since our last show, Bayern Munich fire Julian Nagelsmann Hire Thomas Tuchel, and of course, what's Tuchel's first game in charge is the Classica against his old side, Dortmund, who are a point ahead of Bayern in the table. And you mentioned the dramatic, the dramatic moment from Kobel, that that air kick which which swung the the fixture. Would it would it have gone another way? Do you think without that horrible error? We don't know, but what we do know is that Dortmund started really well. They had a bit of swagger. You could see that they'd been unbeaten in 2023 in the league. They played with belief, they had character, they had presence. 
And Bayern, for some strange reasons, were nervous. Um, Tuchel was nervous. He admitted being nervous after the game. Maybe some of that nervousness uh, had spread onto the team. Of course, changes, only 48 hours to work with aside. Maybe they weren't still quite sure what he want, wanted them to do. It all added up to Dortmund having a lot of initiative. But then that goal changed everything. And Thomas Müller, who talks to everyone on the pitch, said that he spoke to some Dortmund players after after the goal they conceded and felt that their heads had dropped. Right. It was a sense of here we go again Raph. because they had lost every single game since 2014 in the Bundesliga in Munich. And the inevitable then became maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is there an element of lads, it's Dortmund when Bayern, for Bayern play them? At home there is. At home there is because they haven't lost for such a long time. The one game they lost... Uh, in all these years, they lost three nut at home in 2014 with Pep in charge, but Bayern had already won the league at the time and didn't really care. So they have that psychological hold on them. That's definitely true. And Tuchel, in a way that he set up the team, also seemed to think actually it is only Dortmund because he went away from that usual Bayern dominant style, pressing high, trying to control the game with the ball, having a lot of possession to basically just sitting fairly deep and waiting for Dortmund to make mistakes. And then, as Marco Roy said, Bayern just played on the break at home quite shamelessly and destroyed them. So Tuchel would have seen those weaknesses and Tuchel was quite happy to maybe give Dortmund a bit of initiative. Maybe they looked better than they really were in those early minutes because it was partly by design. But certainly Bayern can almost count themselves a little bit unlucky or perhaps should blame themselves for not winning in much more comfortable fashion because after going 3-0 up, as you said earlier, 23 minutes, the game sort of just petered out and Bayern had lots of chances, three goals chalked off offside. It could have easily been six or seven. And uh, Dortmund's two goals at the end just put a bit of cosmetics on, on the result. And the I remember that in 2021, uh, the master lines of Thomas Tuchel when he took over Chelsea was getting clean sheets, one after another, and they won the Champions League like that. I wonder if, uh, he's, since he has taken over in the middle of the season, he's going to try to do something like that with Bayern too? Uh, you said that they played in the counter-attack uh, more than uh, having the possession of the ball. Do you think that following up in April, we'll be seeing a performance of Bayern like that? Thomas Tuchel defending deep? Tuchel Nacho. I, I'm not sure because it's not in his nature, but he is very pragmatic in the sense that he understands what teams need, what the players are most comfortable in. I think the Bayern team is most comfortable in in a back four, which was one of the changes of his uh, very short regime. They were a little bit more passive, out of possession, defending a lot deeper. But I don't think that is the finished vision. I think this is just an intermediate step to a more fully formed Bayern because Tuchel is is deeply inspired by Guardiola and I think wants to ideally have free-flowing possession football with lots of dominance, lots of possession, but not at the price of asking too much of the team too quickly. So I think the um, the defensive setup by his standards is just a step in a in a longer plan for Bayern which will evolve as he becomes more comfortable with the team and vice versa who was credited with the first goal who's who's kind of random it was an own goal because Gregor Kobel oh, was got the 
Did he actually nick the Smallest ball? Smallest of touches. Okay. That's why he was so reminiscent of James Horncastle because he would never completely miss the <laughs> ball. Enough, Rafa. Enough. Is there, Thomas, footage, is there footage of that? <laughs> to, Thomas Muller. I think it is online. Oh. Thomas Muller, who's doing well, a lot of talking, you know, both literally and also with his feet and that, with a brace in this game, uh, and moved to a more kind of traditional Muller position. Is using Muller the right way? Is that kind of job one for a successful incoming Bayern Munich manager? To be fair to... Julian Nagelsmann, I don't think he really played Müller in the wrong position. The, the problem was more that not playing Müller enough. Mm. Uh, take him off when they were one up against Leverkusen and things disintegrated in his final game as it happened for Bayern. Taking him off after only 10 minutes when Upamecano was sent off in that defeat at Borussia Mönchengladbach. These were the things that I think Nagelsmann got wrong, but he didn't, unlike Niko Kovac, for example, had this idea of playing Müller on the right or on the left where he's not that impactful. So I think recognising that Müller is one of those almost untouchables is something that Tuchel very quickly realised because when you have a team in need of a bit of stability, clarity, I think the last thing you want to do is take off your most experienced guys and rely on some of the newer guys and Tuchel, again, being very smart, understanding how to read a dressing room, understanding the, the needs of a team of players, realised that this kind of back-to-basics approach for the back, and then it was quite fluid, sometimes 4-2-3-1, sometimes more as a 4-1-4-1, but it's, it's not a huge difference, gave Bayern just a bit more comfort mm. and that bit more familiarity that perhaps was missing under Nagelsmann. Rafi. What would it say about Chelsea, given the thorough and exhaustive search that they are currently conducting for a new manager? Were they to appoint the coach that Bayern have just sacked and replaced with the guy that Chelsea sacked at the beginning of the season? I wouldn't be too cynical about this move if it was to happen because Nagelsmann is a great manager and is a huge talent. His problem at Bayern was that I think he was still a little bit too young and inexperienced, both in some of the things he did, the way he behaved, the way things were a little bit self-centered at times, but also in a football sense, trying too hard, I think, to fit Bayern into his ideas, fit the players into his ideas, rather than being a bit more adaptive and looking for a way of bringing the best out of the players and then kind of the system is almost the afterthought. That was one of the complaints. It's not a huge complaint. I think it's just a sign of a manager still understanding how things work at this level. And my suggestion would not be that he'd be a bad appointment for Chelsea. I'd say it'd be a bad choice on Julian Nagelsmann's behalf to go to Chelsea because I think a few more managers will bite the bullet there uh, in that dysfunctional surroundings. And I think he'd be better advised to go somewhere a bit more stable. I like Real Madrid, for example. <laughs> Very nice. Bayern have Freiburg in the Cup on Tuesday. That's this evening, Rafa. And then they're going to be facing Freiburg again next Saturday as Tuchel tries to follow up that brilliant debut on the Bayern bench. Yeah, and it's a bit strange because uh, they have these two games against Freiburg and then they have two games against Manchester City, not back-to-back, -back, but still within the space of eight days. And Tuchel will have to think very hard and of course Guardiola and him share a lot of history they had all these famous meetings um, at Schumann's in the Bayern Munich where they were talking tactics when Tuchel had a year off 
And it'd be fascinating to see if Tuchel can do what he has done quite frequently against Guardiola. But uh, that's next week. In the meantime, it'd be very interesting to see kind of clues of how he sees this Bayern team evolving. Who are the players he really trusts? Who are the players that perhaps he doesn't like? And that's why it'd be fascinating to see the next uh, couple of Freiburg matches. Yeah. Dortmund, meanwhile, who slipped to two points off the top of the table in the Bundesliga, have Union next Saturday. Union, who were the only other top six side to pick up all three points this weekend. They beat Stuttgart 3-0, provoking the decision to dismiss the Stuttgart manager, Bruno Labbadia. Before that, Dortmund also have cup action midweek, Rafa. Yeah, they're playing Leipzig. Leipzig side who are themselves in a bit of a mini-crisis. They lost three at home to Mainz. They're on a terrible run. Mm. Everything looked absolutely rosy with Marco in charge, but things have become quite thorny with uh, Rosa in charge, James. And people are trying to figure out what is it about either Marco Rosa or this team that they haven't found the kind of consistency and quality that the squad would would have you expect because there there is a lot of really good talent there, but they look completely disorganized against admittedly a very good mind side uh, another up and coming manager there Bo Svensson he's I think one to keep an eye on but yeah big game for Dortmund because the last thing they want is to having seized the initiative to buy now in the in the championship to say goodbye to perhaps the more realistic or most realistic avenue of winning silverware which is the cup mm. So a bit of pressure on them and people will be watching very closely for any signs of mental fragility or anything because that's been, of course, the big story for the Stortman team. They seem to got their act, they seem to have their act together for once since the restart. Mm. I don't know if Julian Nagelsmann is going to be the manager of Real Madrid, number one. Uh, historically, it's true that those managers who are rather low-key have worked better at Real Madrid, Fidan uh, del Bosque. Ancelotti. I struggle to think if Real Madrid had any manager that didn't speak Spanish, um, because even John ben- Benjamin Toshak, Jupp Heinkes, Capello, of course, he's Italian, at, at some degree, they spoke a little bit. John of, Toshak. Uh, John Toshak. They spoke a little bit of Spanish. Obviously, the Nagelsmann would have to study the language and all that. That would be very good. But uh, it's still uncertain whether Carlo Ancelotti will continue at Real Madrid or not. Uh, his contract expires in 2024. That's true, but we know that contracts are only a paper at Real Madrid. And uh, they asked him about Brazil in the press conference ahead of the game against Valladolid. And Carlo Ancelotti admitted that Brazil had contacted him and that he was very flattered by the call. Uh, he wouldn't be too unhappy to coach Brazil. A year ago, he said that uh, when he left Real Madrid, he was going to retire officially as a coach. But this is a new avenue, completely. Mm. I mean, the Brazil idea is not something that... Uh, we should discard. It pleases a lot, Carlo Ancelotti. He also wheeled out the classic Italian phrase, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bike. Um, I think, wasn't it? About Vinicius sort of yeah. doing something. Brilliant. Vinicius, by the way, who has endorsed Carlo Ancelotti to think about it. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Rafa, before we wrap it up for the Bundesliga, listeners, they're curious to know who's taking over from Bruno Labbadia. At Stuttgart. A very famous name, James. Ooh. A very famous second name ah. uh, because it is Sebastian Hoeneß, nephew of Uli mm. and son of Dieter Hoeneß of 1990 World Cup winner fame. 
quite circular, this uh, Bundesliga managerial thingy, because... Right. Cousin of Graham. Sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't get the reference. Ins- insular is the one way of saying. Um, you know, I mean, you've gone for the... Do you mean incestuous? The, uh, Nepotistical. No. Why is it circular then? Circular because, James, mm. Labadia had taken over from Matarazzo. Of course. At Stuttgart. Yep. And Sebastian Hoeneß right. was fired at Hoffenheim. Uh-huh. Uh, where your man is now, isn't he? Where Matarazzo is now. Yeah. So that's... I mean, it's all a circle, isn't it? The circle of life. The, circle, the, circle, of, of, the yeah. circle of... Wasn't that the main message of True Detective? Yeah, time is a flat circle. Yeah. That and... And a few things. <laughs> and a few other things. <laughs> One or two other things. First season. Really <laughs> recommend that show. Really mm. recommend that show. Dark. Hmm. All right, then. Uh, hey, next up, let's talk City F. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Sandro, Sandro, vince il duello, Sandro. Sandro innesca Rafaleao. Rafaleao contro Rachmani. Rafa adesso, Rafa adesso, Rafa adesso, Rafa, Rafa, gol! Adesso, adesso, Rafa, adesso! City A, everybody. Sunday night, Napoli taking on Milan. Ten days before the two teams meet in an all-Italian. Champions League quarter final. There they were facing off in Naples in Serie A. And the widespread expectation, James, was that uh, Milan were going to get a pace thing. Sure enough, it finished 4 0. Only 4 oh, 0 to Milan. Wow. Well, in Milan, they were confident, more confident than the press were because they had been to Naples the last two years. They had won. They'd lost in September at San Siro, but they played really well in that game. They hit the bar twice, had a 1v1, should have done a lot better. And to be honest, if you look at uh, Napoli's track record in big games, particularly since the beginning of 2023, mm. they've lost the Inter, they've lost the Lazio, and now they've lost the Milan. So Napoli deserve our confidence when it comes to predicting what's going to happen in the Champions League, but there should be that doubt. I think a lot of people have just tossed to one side the other teams from Serie A in the Champions League 
when in actual fact they shouldn't because mm. as we've mentioned on last week's show Inter are a good cup team right. and Milan are still the champions of Italy they are departing champions but they are a good team right and they rediscovered some of that champion championship verve didn't they with a they, they reverted to the kind of pre-world cup formation yeah they went back to the 4-2-3-1 with which they won the league last year and Leao in particular has gone from playing as a centre forward back to playing on the left wing where he was the MVP of Serie A last year. And I think psychologically this was a really important game for Milan because the players were talking afterwards of how they listened to the noise outside of the club, you know, how people like Richardson were writing them off. Mm. And I think for Leao as well, he wasn't too happy about people talking so much about Cavalat Scalia going into this game, saying that he's the best player in the league. And he wanted to make a statement. And boy, did he do that with those two goals. Brahim Diaz, even before he came off, uh, was magnificent, playing on the right-hand side, which was one of the kind of tactical novelties of this game because he usually plays as a number 10. And Milan's right side has been a problem. And even when he went off injured, we saw Cavadamakas, as he's now being called, Alexis Salamakas, one of the kind of budget squad players that Milan have got, gone one of those mazy dribbles that Leao would have been proud of, Cavadatskeli would have been proud of, Maradona would have been proud of. And now, quite predictably, one of the narratives is, has, has Milan shown too much of their hand mm. ahead of this Champions League tie? Mm. Well, it was their biggest win of the season. It was the first time that Napoli had lost a home game by that margin. In 23 years almost. <laughs> Tell us about the bank drop there at the uh, Stadio Maradona. I think this was a factor as well because Spalletti had talked about the atmosphere in the city where there are streamers everywhere, where there are Scudetti everywhere. There's already this anticipation that they've won the league, they've got it wrapped up. So that's a distraction. And then at the stadium itself, you had protests going on against the owner for ticket prices, protests going on against the authorities for stopping Napoli fans from traveling as well. And you had this very peculiar situation straight after kickoff where two ultra groups in the Kurva B basically clashed physically and evacuated that part of the stand because they were upset with each other for how they were protesting against the ownership, mm. which is... Yeah, really bizarre considering Napoli about the, to the win Napoli the popular front and the Napoli people's popular <laughs> front. <laughs> Indeed. So you had this situation where for most of the game, it was played in silence. And you could hear the Milan fans and their chants, you know, Interista Bafanculo and all that sort of Coach. stuff. <clears throat> Sorry, James. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that really helped or contributed. And it's... It, it takes us back to the start of the season when Napoli were in their pre-season training camp in the Dolomites and fans were heckling Spalletti and uh, they said, wake up because look, the ownership have sold all of these players. Koulibaly's gone. They haven't extended the contract of Mertens or Insigne. Our season's going to be rubbish. And instead, their season has been better than anybody expected. They will win the league for the first time since 1990. But these divisions within the fan base about the ownership refuse to go away. Mm. All right. It's going to be interesting to see. Alvaro, sorry. Yeah, what are the chances of uh, Napoli blowing away something? 16 points. Yeah, and in the Champions League as well. They are playing AC Milan. Yeah, but the, I think a lot of people outside of Naples or even Italy forget that 
Napoli, this is the first time they've ever been in a Champions League quarterfinal. And as good as they have been in the league and in Europe as well this year, because let's not forget the performances against Liverpool, the 6-1 in Amsterdam against Ajax, how comfortable they were against Eintracht Frankfurt. This is new territory for them. And I don't know, watching Real Madrid last year, Alvaro, particularly when they came back and beat Man City at the Bernabeu, I do believe in cultural heritage. I do believe that Milan playing the first leg at San Siro, even though Napoli on paper are a better team than Milan, the atmosphere, the environment will have some sort of impact on the game that we can't see at the moment. Even though I think Milan won't be able to repeat what they did, in at least in terms of scoreline uh, against, against Napoli in the Champions League. Famous last words. But I do think that matters. So I don't expect Napoli to win the Champions League. Um, I'm not as confident as other people are that they will reach the final of the Champions League. They will win the league. I think it could get quite nervy over this period where all of a sudden April looks very congested, less congested for them than it does for, for example, Inter also in the Coppa Italia semi-finals. But what happens, for example, if Ozymen, his injury is worse than feared um, and he has a relapse? Because I think the other thing to consider here and one of the reasons why Napoli's season has been so good is but for a few weeks in October, Ozymen has been fit for the entire season. Mm. Which and he is was some- missing in this game with Milan. Yeah, but Ozyman, for his first two seasons in Italy, he spent a lot of time on the sidelines. He's been perceived to be quite a brittle player. And so if, if, if that injury is worse than expected and they tried to play it down, then, yeah, I think April could be quite nervy. Maybe they don't break or match the record that we were talking about on Sunday's BT show, which is winning the league with six games to spare, like the Grande Torino did in the late 40s. Maybe it does go into May, but uh, I think at the end of the day, they will definitely win the league. Okay. Next Saturday, James, on BT Sport, Mm. uh, we've got a double header. We'll be doing Torino Roma and then Lazio Juve, which is interesting because at least two, possibly three of the sides who are battling with Milan and Inter and Atalanta as well for those uh, Champions League spots. Lazio at the moment are four points clear in second place, 16 points behind Napoli. And then you've got Milan and Inter level on points, with Roma just behind them and Atalanta, Juve hovering as well. What about Fiorentina, though, who beat Inter this weekend, notching up their eighth straight victory? What's going on there? Well, they were better than they've shown in the league. They've been quite unlucky, if you look at expected goals, all that nonsense, James. And also, they have been struggling to find a striker to replace Dusan Vlajevic. They've been creating a lot of chances. Replacing Vlajevic in the short term last year wasn't an issue. They had Christoph Piontek, they got goals from everybody else on the team. At the beginning of this season, the likes of Luka Jovic, who they signed from Real Madrid, and Artur Cabral, who's been there for a year now, weren't scoring. Certainly over the spring, they have started scoring again. They weren't available in this game, it didn't matter. And they're just a really awkward side to play against. Fiorentina because they play high up the pitch. I think they play higher than any other team in the league. They press better than any team in the league. I think the three best pressing teams in Serie A, Torino, Milan and Fiorentina. And it's no surprise that often those teams upset the big the big sides, the other big sides. And yeah, they're on this great run. They have a really good chance of winning the Conference League and emulating what Roma did last year. And while it seems a bridge too far for them to get into Europe via Serie A, because the top six are so far ahead of everybody else, 
they can qualify for the Europa League by winning the Conference League like Roma did last year. You mentioned uh, what about Fiorentina. We should say what about Lazio as well. Because Lazio just don't get talked about um, because of their noisy neighbours and Jose Mourinho. Even this weekend, for example, one of the most memeable moments in Serie A was Mourinho talking to Ola Solbakken on the sidelines, the signing that they made in December, and instructing him on the set-piece permutations. And then... Roma go and score, and he basically tells Solbakken to put his tracksuit back on and sit back down. And that has got more attention than the fact that Lazio are clear in second, at least until Juventus perhaps get this points penalty overturned. Lazio have kept, what, 16, 17 clean sheets this season? Chilio Immobile, the most prolific goal scorer in the league for the last 10 years, has been out injured for most of the season. Milinkovic-Savic... It's almost like that's why they're doing so well. (laughs) James, come on. And Milinkovic-Savic, who has been arguably the best midfield player in the league since Pogba was Pogba the first time around, has not had a very good season, although he scored a great free kick at the weekend. Mm. So Sarri and Lazio deserve more credit, deserve more attention. Um, I suppose one of the reasons why they haven't is occasionally their fans do things like they did in the uh, Derby della Capitale, which, you know, anti-Semitic chants and someone going to a Lazio game with Hitlerson on the back of their shirt. Not very good. Um, So it's difficult to kind of have your heart warmed by Lazio, Mm. but at least with the players and what the coach is doing, a really, really impressive season. All right. And an interesting game coming up for him in particular. Sunday evening live on BT Sport. Saturday evening, James. Saturday evening live on BT Sport as he takes on his former side, Juventus Alvaro. And Pedro. And Pedro. Pedro, Mm, yeah. yeah. Turning 36 this year, if he hasn't already. Yeah, Pedro who keeps delivering in... But young in Serie A years, I think. He is. A full six years years younger than Zlatan. In his 40s? No. (laughs) But he keeps delivering in big games and is part of this Lazio front three, which has very few reference points no reference points because there isn't a striker there and he is just such a clever player who Sarri wanted after working with him at Chelsea and took the opportunity to take him on a free transfer from Roma so it's really quite interesting that Pedro is one of I think three players to have scored in the Derby della Capitale for Roma and Lazio Um, not very many players go across from one side to the other unlike for example with the the two Milan sides or whatever so it's uh, yeah pretty pretty good Right, Juve, whether or not they get that points penalty back and whatever happens with the various other things that are pending in a judicial sense for Juventus, they would be, or they could be, within three points of the top four with a win on Saturday evening, which is just extraordinary. Anyway, Alvaro, we're going to do La Liga very, very shortly, but next up, let's touch on Ligue 1, where Paris Saint-Germain were facing Lyon. A lot of people were expecting an upset, but uh, Lyon won. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Oh, Sharky, Joe Mandé qui est venu lui piquer le ballon. C'était plutôt non, Comedy qui était venu lui piquer le ballon. Avec Marcola Et le but Pour le relais, but violet The time at last to hear from Julian Laurent. In Ligue 1 this weekend, many stories... But once again, PSG dominating the headlines once again with a terrible performance, losing at home to Lyon, 1-0 to a side that hadn't won in their last three matches. Jules, what happened this time? Well, they were terrible, James, from pretty much start to finish, although they started the game actually decently and Vitinha had a big chance early on. But very quickly, you could see they were, they were just, the players were just not in it, really. They were not up for it. There was not enough... Movement and then the same issues kept coming back again in that game. The lack of collective unity, the poor defending, the lack of, um, I think, just patterns of play. But it's not even just that. It's just that they, they, they could actually not create anything. Uh, when you've got Messi, Mbappé, Nuno Mendes, Hakimi in your team and you actually don't create much at the end of the game... It's really worrying, and that's exactly what PSG did. Lyon deserved their win. They missed a penalty, like I said, hit the post, mm. and then the rebound was blasted over the bar by Cherki. They could have had two, three, four goals maybe, because it was so easy for them to counter, so easy for them to project themselves forward, the quick transitions forward. It was just terrible. I think the, the Marseille guy, again, picked the wrong tactic, uh, which is not a surprise. I mean, he looked... To be fair, he looks more and more like drained by this whole experience. And and Chelsea sacked the manager that they appointed pretty much at the start of the season. PSG still have the same one. I don't know why. I don't know why he's still there. But again, he got it. He got it. He got it wrong. But he was not the only one. The players didn't turn up. Mbappe was poor. Messi was poor. Verratti was shocking again, and and apparently got injured and and left the field after an hour. So it was just terrible from everybody. Okay. How big a win was this for Lyon down in ninth place? It is because, not so much for the league, because I think they know that they're not going to finish top four, top five, maybe not even top six, although the sixth place now doesn't give you anything this season. Um, so the only hope they have really for this season is the French Cup. And they are in the semi-final. They will play at Nantes in midweek. Uh, and the best way to prepare for that semi-final of the, the, the Coupe de France was to win and to play the way they did against PSG, it won't be the same kind of game against Nantes because Nantes won't have a lot of the ball and won't go forward like PSG did and won't expose themselves to counter-attacks. But still, for the, for the morale and for the, the confidence of these, these Lyon players, it was great for them. And OK, like I said, missed a penalty, but they were still very good going forward. Uh, Barcola, Bradley Barcola, who's another kid from the academy, was only 20 and and 20 days or something like that, who scored the winning goal in Paris for Lyon, is, looks a really, really good talent and with a lot of potential. So, yeah, it was perfect for them, not for the league, because I think their hopes are all gone, but certainly mm. to prepare well for the French Cup. OK, they have that semi-final. PSG don't, they're out of the French Cup. They're also out of the Champions League, or they have 
is the league and title race, which they are still six points clear of. But the figures are, are quite extraordinary. That's three defeats now in their last four. They've lost six of their last ten. When was the last time PSG had a run like that? Uh, never, I think, James. That's the answer. They, they've lost eight games already in 2023. They lost none in the first half of the season. So, it's not like I said, it's not just on the manager because clearly the, some things were working before and they're not working at all now, uh, even if I, I blame him for most of it. But it's true that we've never seen anything like that in Paris, certainly since the Qatari took over. Before that, when PSG were not very good, uh, at the times where they were not very good, they would lose three in four, six in ten. That that happened before. But since the Qatari took over, since they've been dominating French football, we've never seen them in, on such a bad run. And the thing is, sometimes you can lose. And, and we said almost every time they lose, we said, you can lose but still play well. You can mm. lose and and just it was just not your night. Again, like they did like against Rennes last week, like the week before the international break, they deserve to lose. On Sunday night, they deserve to lose again against Lyon. So the problem is far deeper than just, oh, this was a, this, this was a bad result, but the performance was actually quite good. No, no, the, the results and the performances are really bad at the moment. It sounds a little bit like the team have kind of given up on the whole Gautier project, much as you have, Jules. Before we get on to maybe that, why was Messi booed before the game had even started? I don't know, James. Um, we mentioned in our moment of the week, I, th- I think... There's, there's a bit of frustration, of course, from the fans because they're not happy with the, with the situation and, and six points is still, is still quite a big gap. But it's only because Marseille are losing quite a lot of points on the way. Lens have lost quite a lot of points on the way. Monaco, the same behind. Uh, that's, why, that's why the lead is six points. To be fair, I'm not really sure PSG deserve to be so clear at the top from the others. They are, I'm not, I don't think they've been the best team in the league this season at all. I think Marseille and Lens have been better than them over, over the length of the season so far. Mm. Um, but I think there's frustration. The fact that he was so good at the World Cup and then he's been so anonymous since the World Cup played a part. Also, the uncertainty of his future. But I think the fans not really happy, certainly the ones who want him to stay, that, the, that, he, that he looked like he was going to stay, that he wanted to stay. And now... It seems that he's not so sure about staying, that he's telling Barcelona that he wants to go back, that he's telling Inter Miami and MLS that he wants to come over, that the Saudis think that they have a chance of signing him. And I don't think all of that helps the relationship, which was already a bit up and down with the PSG fans since he arrived, to be fair. So, yeah, that's, that's the only reason, really, I, I can find one. But he, lost the, he gave the ball away 26 times in the game on Sunday. Messi, I mean, on is, his own. Yeah, on his own. James, I mean, again, we're not talking about you and me playing at that kind of level. This is, this is the greatest player of all time who gives the ball away 26 times against a team, ninth in the table, that hasn't won for three games. Mm. I, just, I, just, I just can't work my head around how someone like him can be so bad and lose so many balls in a game of... This is not even a good... It's not a quality game. It's not a Champions League final, semi-final. You don't play against Man City or Real Madrid. It's Lyon who are, have been very average this season. And yeah, he gives the ball away so much. So that's why I think he'd been, he'd been booed even before the game started. And, and his performance would not have helped his, his case with the fans. Absolutely. It, it does sound a lot like the team are doing their best to get the manager fired and they must be bewildered about why <laughs> they can give the ball away 26 times, they can lose back-to-back home games without even scoring and the club still persists with Christophe Goodyear. Yeah, yeah, I'm as amazed as a lot of people. 
before the game, they were telling me that they, he would finish the season, that they, 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 they don't know yet if he will be there next season. I can tell you he won't be there next season. It's, imp it's impossible, not with what we're seeing now. Mm. The only reason why maybe he's finishing the season is because they think he's a bit like what we saw as Spurs, for example, uh, in, in a way, in a sense, it, what I mean by that is that they think that I can still somehow see at the season. And if you change now and you bring either an interim coach or a number one that could... I, I don't know, change something. I, I, I really don't know why the Marseille guy is still there. It, it baffles me, but he's still there for now, certainly. Mm. Mm. Uh, because I think that Thiago Mota is showing in Bologna and you know well, James, that he could do a very, very good job, I think, in Paris. Luis Enrique is a great candidate. So is Zinedine Zidane. Julian Nagelsmann, if he doesn't go to Chelsea, is a great candidate too. There's, it's not like if there was nobody on the market, Really? So I, I, I don't understand it. OK, well, they have a six-point lead, as you mentioned, over Lens and Marseille. And their next home game is in a fortnight against Lens. Is that six-point margin enough, Julien Laurence? I don't think so, James. Right now, it's not. They're not good. PSG are not good. This is not a good team. They don't play as a team. Their individual talent don't shine at the moment. They're not shining yet. They sh they're shown well in Marseille, for example. They managed to beat Lille just about at the last second in, in a home match a few weeks ago too. But overall, collectively, you're not good. Individually, you're not good. And you've got, you've, you're, you're in, a, in a negative spiral. So, no, I don't think six points is enough. If they don't wake up, then, then they're not going to win this title and Lens or Marseille will. And, and even Monaco, to be fair, mm. are only three points behind them now. So, they're they in with a, with a little shout. So, it's mm. going to be a great end of the season. But, <laughs> but PSG need to, something has to happen there. Otherwise, they won't win that title, which would be embarrassing. Okay, we should give a, a little bit of love to Monaco, who got their second straight victory with a, with a spectacular match against Racing Strasbourg. Yes, incredible. They won 4 3, they were in control. And then somehow considered two quick goals. And then in the second half, they were much better. They were the, the Monaco team at, the, at their best this season that we've seen sometimes. The problem is the consistency. We've always said it. But, but when they play well, like they did in the second half, it's great. And, and it's even better for them to see two of the youngsters, Ben Seguir, who we've mentioned before on the show, but Edan Diop as well, who is only 18 and scored his first league goal uh, in his career. Uh, amazing performance from him, achievement from him. We saw him together against Bayer Leverkusen in the, in the Europa League where he, he came on and did really well. But that was a very special moment for him and for all the, the Job family, of course, who, um, who are doing well at the moment. So it's, it's great for Monaco and, and it's a shame for them. They drop a few points in games they should not have before. Otherwise, they will be in the title race. Mm -hmm. All right, then. Big weekend coming up as PSG visit Nice next uh, time around. That's on Saturday. And Jules, uh, well, maybe we'll have better news from the Parisians next time around. For now, though, thank you very much indeed. Perfect. Thank you, guys. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. If you fancy a bit of cup action midweek, James, we didn't mention the Coppa Italia semifinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big game tonight, if yeah. you're getting this podcast on Tuesday, Tuesday. Uh, which is the Derby d'Italia nice. between Juventus and Inter. They've only just met in the league, haven't they? They have, and Juventus came out on top in that game, and it's critical for Simone Inzaghi, who, as we saw in that Gazetta front page, is in Bilico. He's, mm. uh, Three games to save his job. That doesn't feel like in Bilico to me. That feels like a normal state of affairs. But No, I think they just keep adding games on right. until the end of the season, right. which is when I expect they'll make a decision. But I think it is big for Inzaghi, this game and the Benfica game, yeah. because he has this reputation for being a cup manager. And if all of a sudden you start going out of the cup competitions and your performances in the league are what they are, which is 10 defeats in 28 games a club in a financially difficult position now jeopardised with going out or not being in the Champions League next year, the Coppa Italia does become quite important. Mm. So let's see what happens. OK, Fiorentina taking on Cremonese in the other semi-final. Mm. Alvaro, La Liga also got cup semi-finals. Coppa del Rey, your friends at Athletic Club de Bilbao, will be hosting Osasuna. Athletic, a goal down from the first leg. Mm-hmm. And the other game, is that of much consequence? It's just an, irre- an irrelevant one. Right. It has never been played. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Barcelona, Real Madrid in the other semi-final. It's Real Madrid who are a goal down after the first meeting in the Copa del Rey semi-finals there. Both of those two teams warmed up with big wins at the weekend. Barcelona with 4 new winners at Elche. Real Madrid, what did they get at Va- against Valladolid? Uh, it was... Uh set to nil for them. They beat Valladolid 6-0. Uh, 6-0. Yeah. Yeah. Karim Benzema with a first-half hat-trick. He scored all three goals inside six and a half minutes. Yeah, that was incredible. Uh, it was not only his first um, hat-trick in the first half of the game in La Liga, but also, you know, he did it in seven minutes. And uh, um, the quality of his goals uh, went in crescendo spectacularly. The first goal was all right. The second one was a very good solo run with a great finish. Uh, he put it in the top corner. And the third one, I wouldn't know how to define that. It was like a bicycle kick without actually lifting one of your legs before hitting it with the other. But he put the ball in a very casual, nice way in the net. And it was very important for Benzema, I believe, uh, because this season he has scored Many goals, I would say, almost as many as Lewandowski in La Liga, but his game hasn't been up to standards. Uh, he hasn't been physically fully fit. And um, also, I think that uh, some other players, they have taken some um, 
protagonism, I don't know if you will say that in English, from him, the likes of course. Taking the spotlight. Yeah, the spotlight. Yeah, they mm. have taken the spotlight out of him a little bit. So it was very important for Benzema to score a hat-trick. Uh, let's not forget that in La Liga this season we haven't had many hat-tricks. In the Premier League, Erling Haaland and some others, but mainly Erling Haaland, has scored many. But uh, we have to wait until the La Liga second half to see the first hat-trick in La Liga, scored by Ojan Sanzet, a player from Athletic Club Bilbao. I'll talk about him later. And uh, Karim Benzema scored his hat-trick, and um, it was, as I said, a good win for Real Madrid because, uh, you know, players like Rodrigo, like Asensio, step up a little bit, and they are going to be very important in this run of games for Real Madrid. OK, Wednesday night they take on Barcelona, who is... Mentioned four nil winners the weekend. Lewandowski, he didn't get a hat trick, but he did get two goals and an assist. And Barcelona got yet another clean sheet. That's twenty now this season. Twenty clean sheets for Barcelona, and um, you know I I always like to compare leagues and uh, point tallies and all that because mm. I think that that is uh, which league is best? Do you think? Uh, well, I think that this season in particular. Right. I would say that in terms of entertainment, Bundesliga has been second right. to none for a few years. Really? That, that's my opinion. Uh -huh. Seriously, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that La Liga um, has been not that competitive this year, as you know. Uh, there has never been such a distance between the first spot and the 20th spot mm. by this uh, point in the history of the competition. So that tells you a little bit um, what the story is like. And Barcelona is many points away from Real Madrid, 12 already. And the truth is that uh, now they've got, um, from the big five leagues, the best uh, point uh, rating. Uh, yeah, after Napoli. After Napoli is the fit. Uh, it's incredible because you would say that this season Napoli has been the refreshing news in European football, altogether with Benfica, in my opinion, mm. but especially Napoli. You wouldn't have said that about Barcelona. No. Barcelona is playing in La Liga, mm. and uh, they've got the best uh, point ratio. Uh, better one than Bayern, better one than Arsenal, Napoli, and uh, PSG. So it is pretty impressive. I don't think that this Barcelona is a great team yet, but they have all the makings to dominate La Liga this season, because they don't lose the but plot. Right. They are always very focused. Okay. They've got... Uh, Referees. Oh, sorry, no. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. Uh, they've got uh, an influential goalkeeper, right. an influential centre-back who is a titan, I spoke about him, Araujo, who can do many things on his own. And then up front, they've got the top scorer of La Liga, uh, Robert Lewandowski. So I think that all these three players, they have been a little bit the backbone of Barcelona, with fringe players stepping up whenever needed, Christensen, Rafinha, Gabi. And that, uh, all together with Real Madrid, um, Lack of focus on time has um, created this situation in which Barcelona is not running away with the title yet, but they are 12 points away from winning La Liga with 10, 10 games to go, with oh. 11 games to go. So those, le those levers have really worked. Mm. They have. You know, I mean, because that's the, the story about Barcelona. They have spent a hell of a lot of money to put this team together and it is yeah. starting to pay off. And, and I think that the signings were good. Uh, Christensen... Uh, coming for free, it was uh, a very astute signing. Good recruitment by Matteo Alemani, because Matteo Alemani, this was, last summer was his second window, just to prove his worth. He was the mastermind of that Valencia that won the Spanish Cup in 2019, and uh, he's creating a good Barcelona. Rafinha, for all his deficiencies and his lack of accuracy at the beginning of the season, has been very important in Dembélé's absence. Uh, then they brought Kunde, the best defender in La Liga, out of the big three, Atletico, Barcelona and Real Madrid, and he had an instant impact. And I think that the levers, yes, they were well triggered. Very nice. They'll be paying for them until 2080 or something. Right. Someone's going to be facing either Real Madrid or Barcelona in the final. It could be Bilbao, Athletic Club Dead, yeah. 
Or Osasuna? Yes. CFA? Uh, <laughs> look, uh, it's a Basque derby, even though if you check the Spanish map yeah. uh, and the um, distribution of Spanish regions, mm. uh, Pamplona is not Basque country on paper, but uh, it was in Pamplona. Is it Navarro? Uh, yeah, it's in, it was in Navarra. Yeah. Is this they, like, is Middlesbrough in Yorkshire? Kind of debate. You know, I'm not that familiar with that, but I guess okay. yes. No. I, if you mention that, I guess yes, yes, yeah. because I think that your cultural level is high. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Basque language mm. uh, is spoken a lot in the north of Navarra. If mm. I go to the north of Navarra, I feel in the Basque country, the Basque culture is really strong in there. Mm. And uh, Athletic Club Bilbao's attacking force in terms of creation and in terms of scoring is all Navarran. I'm talking about Muniain, I'm talking about Sunset, I'm talking about Raúl García, I'm talking about Berenguer, Iñaki Williams, Nico Williams, all born or bred in Pamplona, but they play for Athletic Club Bilbao. So it's a, a game in which Athletic Club Bilbao will have to do a small remontada. We don't have many good strikers to do that. It was very visible. Is that because they're all from Navarra? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was very visible against Getafe the other day. Nil-nil, we couldn't score a single goal. Uh, we have been scoreless in seven games in La Liga. We have to step up right mm -hmm. now. Tickets have been sold out uh, ahead of this game on Tuesday evening. And I'm expecting a really good atmosphere at Samames. And uh, I would like to, to talk about Ollán Sanzet very quickly. Mm -hmm. Because Athletic Club Bilbao has a new uh, director of communication. And he did something a little bit unprecedented in Bilbao, and I think that in La Liga, uh, Ojan Sanzet, uh, probably our best youngest player altogether with Nico Williams, announced that he's extended, extending his contract after the game. He got a microphone and he talked to the whole crowd and he said that he extended his contract until 2032. Good wow. It's like a Chelsea contract. It, it is a total Chelsea contract. Yeah, uh, this happened in the past with Athletic. Uh, we gave like a... A, a lifetime extension to mm. Julian Guerrero, mm -hmm. uh, one of our best players in the 90s. And uh, Ojan Sanzet is now the player with the longest contract. Athletic for life. Athletic for life. Mm, very yeah. nice. We should mention the changes at Sevilla since our last show. Yeah. Man United's next opponent, of course, in the Europa League in a week's time, who fired their manager. Who did they bring in? Mendy Libar, mm. the former manager Speaking of, of Libar. Right. <laughs> Mendy a Lieber. Uh, good Lieber, <laughs> yeah. Uh, good manager, I would say. Good manager. And he... He masterminded a big success this weekend, their first away victory in almost six months, actually. This was at Cadiz, again, a derby. Yeah. An Andalusian, all-Andalusian affair. Definitely. All-Andalusian derby. Uh, nobody will challenge this. Um because some people would challenge what I said about Osasuna and Athletic Club Bilbao in Spain. I don't care about those people. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but uh, Mendilibar is a practical manager. Uh, he created an Eibar side, that, uh, Eibar side that stayed in La Liga for a few years uh, against all the odds. His pressing up front is very good. Mendilibar always creates uh, aggressive sides. And this Sevilla won with two players who are um, stepping up. Number one, Nesiri. After the World Cup, only Benzema has scored more goals in Spanish football. Mm. And Nesiri, after the World Cup, is doing it. I think he got a proper confidence, boost, confidence booster in the World Cup uh, with Morocco reaching the semifinals of the competition. And Lucas Ocampos. There was never a worse fit for Ajax than Lucas Ocampos in the first half of the season. But there cannot be a better fit uh, for Lucas Ocampos than Sevilla. He is a player whose... Um, enthusiasm is contagious. Uh, he's a player that uh, sometimes is a little bit dispersed because his enthusiasm tries to cover too, too much ground on the pitch. But with this Sevilla 
uh, which is a little bit a little bit rigid and a little bit too veteran. Mm. Having a player like Lucas Ocampos is a blessing for them. There you go. This change from Jorge Sampaoli to Mendy Lieber, yeah, who's more of an old school boss, yeah. yeah. How do you think that affects the upcoming clash with Manchester United? Uh, it does. It does. I really think so because with Sampaoli, I wouldn't have given Sevilla a chance. Now with Mendy Lieber, um, even though this you're a will- believer. <laughs> with Europa Liva. Uh, it will be it will be different that's for sure I think that uh, he will prepare this game very very thoroughly even though his European experience is not there mm. I mean uh, this is the first experience of Mendy Liva in a top side uh, apart from his uh, short spell at Athletic Club Bilbao in 2005 uh, I don't think that Mendy Liva has been a coach in Europe but uh, he's got his chance there uh, right now, and I don't have any reason to believe that Mendilibar is going to create a worse Sevilla than it was with Sampaoli. I think that, if anything, Mendilibar is going to improve uh, that group of players. Mm, excellent. Alvaro, just before we leave things, Jules mentioned uh, when he was talking about the, the boos that greeted Messi's name ahead of their clash with Leon last weekend, um, and... Th- the fact that there is this ongoing story about him returning to Barcelona, is that a real prospect, do you think? It's very difficult because, number one, Barcelona has to reduce their salary, their salary, the, the, the wages, the wage bill, yeah, yeah. The wage mm-hmm. bill in uh, 200 million. Uh, they haven't been able to register Gabi as a first team player because La Liga hasn't accepted that. So if Jack, you cannot put in the same sentence something like, but Messi is returning, but we cannot register Gabi as mm. a first-team squad player. I mean, it, it, over there, there is an oxymoron, there is a contradiction. So I think that this uh, conversation is a little bit of a, of a smoke curtain, really, because right. Barcelona has many more things to care about, for example, and a very important one that I want to mention before my section is over, mm. is the fact that Ceferin uh, has said that what he hears about uh, Negreira, Enrique Negreira, is a very serious right. thing. Uh, Negreira was the referee's vice president who received the millions in, in payment. Seven, seven million mm. by Barcelona. And uh, those um, offenses or crimes, uh, they are time-barred according to La Liga's regulation, but they are not time-barred according to UEFA regulations. Ooh. And uh, UEFA could actually trigger a couple of clauses, um, the articles 402 and the 403. I'm familiar uh, with those, yeah. We are very familiar with them, but our listeners are not, so I'm going to explain why okay, yeah. uh, they are important. Uh, by those articles, a club can get a year suspension for trying to have an influence in a game's result. Right. So, let's see what happens there. But this is the first time that Ceferin speaks publicly about all this, and it doesn't look good for Barcelona. Indeed not. All right, well, Easter weekend is on its way with exciting games all over the continent, and next Tuesday we'll be back to review what happens in them? For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Julian a short time ago. <laughs> Rafa there. Uh, Alvaro, James, and you listener. And producer Charlie as well, right? Uh, do have a super Easter, and we'll catch up with you after. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.